0: All right, I'd like to begin today just by reading the passage that we're going to be studying. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, you could turn there, and let's all together look at what God has for us today. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. I will give you a moment. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. It's right there in front of 2 Corinthians. You're looking all right chapter 9 verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners compete but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As I was preparing this message this week, I had a staffer that came in and said, hey, how's it going? And I said to him, I wish every week was like this week. You want to know why? What is the subject of the passage today? Sports and athletics. And if you didn't know it, I love sports and athletics. And all the time am using illustrations in my message messages that have sports and athletics in it. In fact, sometimes people sort of dig me about how often I do it. If you knew how often I chose not to, you would compliment me. Because my mind just goes there. I have, I've been involved in sports all of my life. They've been a big part, especially growing up and even to this day. In fact, I would look at my life and many of the happiest moments of my life had something to do with athletic competition that I was involved in or that I was watching or that I was cheering for or all the rest. I, I really love, uh, sports of all kinds and They've been a big part of my life. In fact, this January 7th, it's possible that I will have one of the happiest moments of my life if the Lord would so make this possible for the Iowa Hawkeyes to finish running the table and to play on January 7th for the national championship and to win it. That would be such a happy day for the Hawkeye Nation. So I... If you knew how much I think about this kind of stuff, you you would be probably surprised. So that's why when I come to this sort of a passage that it just gets me, gets the juices flowing because I see Paul doing here what I do all the time, and that is to illustrate spiritual truth with a metaphor of sports and athletics. So those of you that perhaps... Quietly criticize me for doing so. Read your Bibles. The Apostle Paul does exactly the same thing. It's fine. It's fine to do that. So I sort of think Paul was an ESPN sort of guy. I don't know if he watched it or not. Probably not. But I think that he. He was. He, he often uses athletic metaphors in his writing. If you read through the letters, and really in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, there are many references to sports and athletics. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 being a, a great example of that. So, I think Paul used them because he loved sports, I don't know if he did, but I think that he did. Here's what I really do know is the case. He uses this as an illustration because the Greeks were crazy about sports. In fact, guess where the second most popular, biggest deal sporting event of antiquity was held? Greece, yes, but okay, it's not first Grecians, it's first Corinthians. So guess where the first, second greatest sporting events in all of antiquity were held? In the city of Corinth. That's right. How did you know? They were called the Isthmian Games. It's hard to say. Isthmian Games. It, it, it came from the, uh, the fact that Corinth was located on an isthmus a little body of water between two seas, and so they called it the Isthmian Games. And these were a huge deal, second only to uh, the Olympics. And here's an example of how crazy they were about these sporting events. Uh, They were held, by the way, for 600 years prior to Paul even referring to them here in uh, 1 Corinthians. But in 412 BC, the city of Corinth and the city of Athens were at war with one another. Okay, so they're trying to kill each other. Trying to kill each other. They hate each other. Well, guess, guess what happened? It came around time for the biannual Isthmian Games in Corinth. So what do you do when you're at war with the people that you need to uh, compete against in all the events? You call a timeout on the war. Invite them all into the city where you have the Isthmian Games. They go back to Athens then you go back to fighting. It's kind of like, I just thought of this, it's like the uh, uh Wile E. Coyote where they're trying to kill each other and then the horn goes off and then they have lunch and then they go back to their places and they try to kill each other again. That's kind of what was going on. It, that, but that, you know, we don't want a little war to get in the way of the thing that we really care about, which are the competitions. So they were absolutely crazy about sports of all kinds. And uh, the events in this included racing, wrestling boxing hurling the javelin discus and other events and these things were held in stadiums that they built for uh this for these for these games in fact the word stadium we get from a measure of length which was a stadia and a stadia was equal to the length of the foot race in a greek stadium so there you go you didn't know that did you Aren't you glad you came today? You know where that word stadium comes from. In fact, just uh, about two years ago, there was a group of us that went on a tour of Israel, and we were in one of these stadiums that were built for uh, these races. And so we were all standing there, and, and some of us said, you know what, this is an ancient foot race stadium, Let's have let's have a race. And so we did, and I got a photo of that, if you would there you go so there we are next to the mediterranean and i would just like to point out to you pastor jim in the back there the pastor jim pitts i will not uh comment on who is leading or ended up winning that race because of the godly virtue of humility i will not refer to that but now With that background, let's get into this passage and remember that Paul is challenging the Corinthians to live missionally, to live with gospel priorities. They were living non-missionally. They were allowing relatively unimportant things like personal preferences to become so important that they were willing to not love one another and to be divisive and to undermine the entire ministry of the church. So the problem was their priorities. And Paul, in chapters 8 and 9, is giving them basically an example, and it is himself. And he's saying, this is what I do. And he makes comments like he does uh, in verse uh, 12. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, and we studied this in verse 22 last week, I have become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. So what Paul is saying there is, listen, the aim of evangelism and the importance of gospel ministry trumps any of these little preferential issues that so often Christians make as important or ultimately more important than reaching people with the gospel and making disciples of all nations. And as you know, if you've been in the church very long, these kind of things happen all the time. So let's let these words ring in our hearts for a very long time. I think we'll be glad that we did. Living with the right priorities is what Paul is challenging us. Now, the passage today uh, is an illustration of the determination behind verse 22. What Paul is saying here is he's, 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 he's going to say that we need to exert a force of will that orients our life around the one thing that in eternity matters, namely the gospel, people, the kingdom of God. And what better example of that than the grit and determination that an athlete exerts uh, in order to win... The prize. So this is a passage. This is a passage that it's it's dripping with sweat. As you look at your Bible right there, it just, just it visualizes perspiration all over these verses. If this was a scratch and sniff Bible, you could just it smell like a locker room uh, because it's a. Th- these are verses about exertion and effort and trying and working. Working hard, if the Bible had a soundtrack, as you got to this part, all of a sudden the Rocky theme would come over the the come out of the Bible, I guess. And you know dun 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 we just hear that song and it reminds us of of Rocky. And I think this is a good illustration of this verse. It reminds us of Rocky, and just like how he just gave everything in order to get his body. Ready for the fight. Similarly, the Christian is to give everything for winning the prize, and we're going to we're going to get into that in a second. But it's about athletes, and by athletes, don't think of Pop Warner football athlete. We're talking about an elite athlete, okay? The uh, the top level athletes who orient their entire selves around their mission of winning the race winning the prize winning the gold whatever it is physically mentally their diet their daily schedule practice 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 champion athletes this is what they this is what they do and the greek athletes by the way were no different they would train for months and months and months to get ready for these games and everything that they were doing was oriented around training and getting ready for the event. We can think of our modern day Olympic athletes who every time the Olympics come around, they begin doing these little bio stories behind these people. And you realize the sacrifices that they have made their entire lives. And oftentimes their families, their entire lives in order to get ready for this one shining moment, this one competition, everything's been going toward. I remember I went to uh, Lake Placid, New York, and uh, went into the facility there, and I think it's like the National Skating Training Facility, something like that is the name of it. And I go walking in. This was in the summertime. And the, the rinks were filled with little girls twirling and jumping and coaches around. And, and they're from all over the country. And there they are essentially living and giving their lives. Think of that. They're, they're like seven. Seven. They are spending every day, all their lives, getting ready for a competition that is probably 10 years waiting for them. And yet everything is all about trying to win the gold. Now here's the challenge of the passage, and we're going to take it apart. The challenge of the passage is this. If they do what they do to get what they get, how much more should we do to get what Christ promises? For those Christians who run well. That's where we're going. So let's get into this now. And I've entitled this The Character of a Spiritual Champion. And I know that sounds like sort of a liberal theology kind of sermon thing, and I apologize for that, but it just seemed to fit for me. And so, three characteristics that we find here that all of us need to walk out of here today and say, Am I doing that? Or am I doing that as I ought? Is that a character quality that I see in my spiritual walk? Here's the first one. And we see it in verse 24. It is a determination to win the prize. A determination to win the prize. Look again at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, this sort of, I'd say, begs the question because ancient races were the same as as modern day races, even the little race that we were having in the picture that I showed you, all of us there, guess what all of us wanted to do? We wanted to win, but only the winner would talk about it two years later and show a picture of it, okay? it it goes without saying that a runner who is running in a race is not running that race hoping to lose. They are hoping to win. They are on the, they're on that starting line or whatever it is. And, and they are just every muscle, every sinew is trying to get to the finish line. You never see a race with people that are running and they don't want to win. They want to win. And you know, when it comes to athletes, the people that we admire in our culture are the ones who have, they've got like another gear that they can go to when they need it. Exert a kind of force of will that allows them to win the tournament, to win the game, to win the race. They just, they dig down deep and with a kind of determination that is unique to them, they go Ahead, I think of Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, as two clear examples in our culture of people that we hold in high regard because they could do that. And you know, grown men—hundreds of thousands of grown men—will pay incredible ticket prices just to be in the same big room with them and to see them do it it's so inspired millions of people watch on tv and all the rest why we admire that character quality in an elite athlete they got something and in our hearts we all want that same thing as well i saw a sports ad uh yesterday that had a coach yelling at a player in the in the advertisement and he, and the coach is going you got to work hard you got to want it You gotta want it. And if that player said, Want what, coach? Get off my team right now. No coach wants anybody on his team that is not, doesn't want it. Like Larry Bird, who walked into the first three point competition they ever had and said to everybody, all the other competitors in the locker room, You're all playing for second. That's a competitor. That's a guy who's there. He's not there to get second place. He is there to win the prize. That is a champion. These kind of people, these athletes, they have a champion sort of mentality about them and they, they go for it. They want it. And if you don't want it, you play in the band. Now, what Paul is not saying here, by the way, I had one of the band directors from Maryville High School in the service last night, and he came up to me afterwards and wasn't particularly encouraged by the comment. So we had a race to decide it, and I won, so. (laughs) That's how we settle any conflict in Bethel Church. We just race for it. Now, what Paul is not saying here, if you look at the language, you know, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. You could read that and you could think, oh, we're like, well, we're all competing against one another. You know, or so, there's only one prize, there's only one person who gets the prize in the church or something like that. That is not, that's not the part of the analogy that he is wanting us to see. It is the, it is the exertion. It is the effort. It is the determination of the athlete who really, really wants it. That is what he is getting at. So run that you may obtain it. Run like a winner. Run like a champion. Give yourself to it. Now, some of you right now are probably or maybe thinking to yourself, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're talking about because I have already received Christ as my Savior. I already got eternal life. I've already got the prize So why do I need to think about exerting some kind of an effort to get some other kind of prize? Well, here's why, and here's something that you probably, if that's your thought, you probably don't, you don't understand, that the Bible talks about over and over and over again. Yes, it is true that eternal life is a gift. It is a received gift from God. It is a prize. There's no doubt about it. But we don't do anything for that. We receive it. It is by faith. Christ has done it all. Salvation is, uh, eternal life is a gift from God so that man cannot boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Absolutely true. But here's the thing. That is That moment in our life is like the gun going off at the beginning of a race. Now I have this entire thing called the living the Christian life, following Jesus, in which God has said there are prizes to be had at the end of the race. And those prizes are given out based on the quality of my service to Jesus Christ. They are eternal rewards. We talked about this in chapter 3, where Paul describes our work being tested by fire, and what is done for us and what is done for the wrong motivation is burned up and there is nothing that we have for it, but that which is done with the right motivation and for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, it is like gold, silver, and precious stone. Our lives are being evaluated... By our Savior, who has promised that every sacrifice and every service that is offered to him, for him, will be generously rewarded. Many passages talk about this. Here's probably one of the key ones. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there is a coming day, a kind of award ceremony where the king of kings is going to distribute rewards to all of his people. But those rewards are not the same for those that serve him faithfully, for those that sacrifice uh, 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 greatly, for those that are giving of themselves in the categories of that, that matter to God he will reward greatly. But those that do not and those that have not and those that end their life having been lazy and wasting their time and doing nothing for God are going to stand before him without anything to show for it. And here's the thing. We enjoy or don't enjoy these rewards for all of eternity. So there is, therefore, what, what, more motivation is there beyond the love for christ and gratitude for what he did for us at the cross than what he has put out there in front of us to motivate us to serve him faithfully and that is what paul is talking about here all the runners run you make sure that you run your life with a kind of determination to win the prize you gotta want it run like you want it Live your life like you want it, like an athlete. Go for the prize. Run to win. Now, what does that look like? And I'd just like to give you some categories of evaluation. Here are some. The battle against sin and temptation. Personal involvement in spiritual disciplines like prayer, Bible reading, study, worship, giving. Time and energy put towards serving Jesus. I think care and discipling of your family. If you're a parent, it's a category of that. It's not too different than trying to identify the uh, athletes at a track At a track meet. If you've ever been to a track meet, it's not hard to know who the athletes are and who, who the non-athletes are. The athletes are the one who, before the match, are, they're warming up and they're stretching and they're getting things ready. They got their warm, warm-up suits on and, and they're running around. And the people that are not stretching and the people that are not running are the parents who are in the stands. And so it's easy to say, okay, these are the athletes, these are the non-athletes. Sweat is pouring off of them. Are you somebody... That if somebody was to be looking around here, looking around maybe your neighborhood, where there's any sense of like sweat, spiritual sweat, an exertion of force and energy for Christ or not. This passage is calling us to to do that. For those that do, great will be their reward. And for those that do not, great will be your regret someday when you stand before the Lord with nothing to show of it. You have lived a wasted life. Now, some of you might be thinking, or some of us might be thinking, well, now, wait a second. Uh, are, are you sure about that? Because I, I just have to say, I don't have time for what you're talking about. I mean, I don't have time for those things and all the other things that i have on my schedule i mean i have my social schedule i have uh this thing that i'm my interest or hobby that's that's so cool so cool and i'm i i i got to see the latest movies i got to keep up with what's going on go out with my friends and all that and i of course then i have keep up with all my friends on Facebook, and I've got um, lots of uh, these other things. You're not saying, are you, that God expects me to do all those things and serve Jesus on top of that. I am not saying that God expects that at all. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. That he expects every Christian to live wisely with their time. And like an athlete, to get out of their life the things that are distractions and the things that are hindering a life that is wholly oriented towards the one thing that in eternity is going to matter now did you get what i said there i'm not sure i said it clearly enough some of you are like well i can't do that and all these other things well guess what All those other things need to be evaluated. What are those other things doing in your life? Are they helping you to accomplish the goal? Because an athlete would never have these other things getting in the way of accomplishing the goal of winning the prize. And that's why it is a mindset. It is an athletic sports kind of mindset that says, I am going to do all that I can to get the prize. Run that you may obtain it. You got to want it. You've got to want it. So the first characteristic is a determination to win the eternal prizes, the rewards that Christ has offered, and nothing is going to get in my way of getting those things. I'm going to battle against sin. I'm going to carefully use my time. I'm gonna figure out what my talents are and I'm gonna use those for the glory of God as much as I can. I am going to live a Christ-centered, God-oriented life because someday, very soon, I'm gonna be dead and I'm gonna stand before Christ and I wanna have something to show for it. Not just to him, but also for all eternity. You know, the song says that we cast all our crowns back to him. The Bible does not teach that. These are rewards that we will enjoy For all eternity. We talked about this several months ago. You might remember I had the hose and I had the different sized containers. And I tried to explain how everybody is fully happy in heaven, but some are more happy. Our life increases a capacity that God can fill with joy and reward in heaven. And I think that we should all want to have great big barrels of eternal joy. And how we live today determines our joy then. Live with determination like an athlete. Second character quality that we find here is single-mindedness. Look at verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Now, this is an understatement. Athletes need (laughs) self-control. Yeah. If you don't have self-control, you'll never be an athlete. You'll eat way too many Twinkies and and you'll you'll, um, be far too interested in your high score on some video game to ever achieve a level of proficiency in a sport that would lead to your success. Athletes have to exercise self-control in everything. Her time, Her lifestyle, her diet, her sleep patterns, the removing of anything that might impact their performance. And here's the thing, friends. Often these, oftentimes these things are fine in and of themselves. They're good, maybe, in and of themselves, but they get in the way. And that's why so many people get asked the wrong question. Is it okay for a Christian to do this? Well, yeah, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Or is it somehow undermining my attempt to live a life to the glory of God? I remember when I was in high school, my high school basketball coach, every year would give the same speech. He would begin talking about the great Spartan warriors of the past and how dedicated they were to being the greatest warriors the world had ever seen. And on and on and on he would go. And then he would get to the application point that was why he was telling this. He said and that's why I don't want you dating anybody. No girls during the season. Uh yeah. And so the reason for that was he didn't want us distracted. Now is there anything wrong with girls? Girls? No, they're wonderful. Wonderful. Can they be a distraction? <laughs> Those were some low-voiced women that were talking right there. (laughs) Yes. Single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. What does an athlete have single-mindedness for? What is the goal? And Paul says that here. They do what they do for a perishable wreath. Now, he's talking there about what they would give to the champions of The Isthmian Games, if you won the race, if you won the javelin throw, if you won the wrestling, they would bestow on you a wreath that was made, made up of pine twigs. Everyone applauded. Very nice. Now, what's that wreath worth after the competition is over? pine twigs all that effort all that discipline all that grit and determination for pine twigs paul's saying they do all of that for that and it's an argument from the lesser to the greater if an athlete will do all of that training in order to get a gold medal that sits on a shelf somewhere How much more should we give effort and determination and energy to something that Jesus says will never perish? These rewards, they go on forever. Do you get the point? Perishable wreath, that much effort. Christians should give so much more. So, what do you say about a Christian who's exerting only a small effort for the Lord? Or maybe no effort at all. Serving maybe in small ways. Sacrificing just a little here and there to appease the conscience. 1 Corinthians 3 describes this person as suffering loss. And also as somebody that will come through the fire, but just barely. This is somebody who will end the end of their life with tremendous regret. That they did so little for the Lord. And that's why today, as your pastor, I'm wanting for you a great reward. But nobody can run for you. Nobody gets your fanny out of your bed to do something for Christ. It is only you that will do it. The only thing that I can do is what Paul does here, and that is to lay before you the reward. And the rewards are tremendous We'll be so glad that we have it. And so I want to ask you today, respectfully, truly respectfully, is the effort that you are putting forth for Christ a worthy one? Is there any sweat? Have you, have you exerted any effort for your walk with Christ and serving him in some way? Is there any determination? That you are, where you are, you are exerting power over your body or some natural desires to do something for Christ, which in your mind you know is better. And I just say to you like a coach, you have got to want it. If you do not want that prize, you will be like so many average American Christians who just do blah. I got eternal life and I'm just waiting to die. Well, guess what? You're going to step into heaven with a major regret. You're going to look back at this life and these year after year after year and the week that we just lived today and say, what was I thinking? Why was I living for wreaths that perish? I should have been living for something that matters in eternity because this life is so short and eternity is long. Why live for the short? Live for the long. Live for what matters there. So I got a heart for you and I just... As I was preparing this, I got thinking about... Right now, there, I'm hoping that there are some of you who are saying, you know what, I haven't... I haven't there, there has not been the smell of spiritual sweat on me for a long time. I haven't done anything. Well, actually I have, but I've got to go back like 20 years to think of something. I heard David Jeremiah say one time, you can tell the vitality of your spiritual life by how old your illustrations are. It's true. So... Some of you maybe right now are thinking, all right, I hear you. I need to, okay, I need to make some changes. But it's so hard. I don't like to run. I do minimally. I'd rather play a game that chases a ball of some kind than to just go run. Guess what step is the hardest one in the whole run? The first one. The first one is always the hardest one. And some of you maybe are contemplating, okay, maybe I'm willing to think about taking a first step. I've been planted where I am a very long time. I'm the proverbial uh, spiritual couch potato. I'm willing to sort of think about getting my lazy rear end out of the spiritual bed and to maybe take a step. What could I do? I'd like to just offer just some, here's some manageable, easy sort of first steps to get a little momentum going. Like, how about just memorizing this passage? This week, if you just memorized verses 24 through 27, three verses, or I want to kids do it, week in and week out, you can do it. Get that brain engaged and just memorize it. By the time you're done memorizing it, you've got to go over it and over it and over it so many times. It will motivate change. Here's another one. How about just looking for some opportunity to pray at an unusual time with your spouse with your family just take a faith step you know let's what do we pray about that now that may not seem like a big deal but for some people that would be like really awkward but a good step just getting a little prayer into my life a little discipline in my life how about looking for a meaningful first step service opportunity just a, just it'd be meaningful to you, and I, whatever's meaningful to you, but just a first step. Like I think of our second Saturday uh, uh, work days that we do here. We had 40 some people here last week, the biggest one ever. Um, just come to that and, and serve alongside some guys, drill holes, paint, you know, stain, do this and that and the other. You'll, walk, you'll drive home that day, you'll think, you know what, I sweated for Jesus a little today. It's a good feeling. How about uh, maybe volunteering at the women's conference I mentioned? Just say, you know what, I'm just gonna give a day and a half to the lord sit in on the sessions be blessed be around other women you'll love it how about signing up for a a week of prayer slot that we talked about earlier 30 minutes we give you a guide on how to pray for 30 minutes some of you're like can't pray that long you can we'll help you we'll get you there just pray just take a step how about just committing to regular worship service attendance for some people that would be that would that would require a little bit of discipline Okay, one out of three, I can pull that off, but boy, it's so hard. Okay, it requires discipline. Take that step. And there's others that you could come up with, but the first step is the hardest. So I I feel like, I I just feel like, and and I have nobody in mind in saying this, but I just want to come alongside you today and say, listen, the prize is worth it. You've been standing where you've been so very long. Someday you'll be glad that you take this step. Take a step. Take a running's first step. Just just try it and get a little momentum going and begin to run like a Christian who wants to win the prize. And lo and behold, you get going and, and good things happen. So that's the second character quality, single-mindedness. Okay, I want the prize. Here's the third, verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Third character quality. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Now we see that here. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. And then he goes on to say, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let me explain that last phrase first and then we'll get to the discipline part. Because you might read that and say, well, Paul actually was afraid he might lose his salvation. The testimony of the New Testament is that that cannot happen. Those that have been truly regenerated, justified in the court of heaven, cannot, will not lose their salvation because God preserves us in it. So that's not what he's he's saying here. The Greek word there means proved unworthy or not approved. He is concerned here that after exhorting all these other people that they run their race really well, that in the end he might find out that his own effort was not what it should be. Now think about that for a moment. The Apostle Paul was concerned that his effort was not what it should be. This would be like talking to Abraham Thomas, who was on the video at the beginning of the service. He was here last night because he couldn't make it today. But that'd be like if he was here today, and 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 he came up to you and said, "Brother, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm doing enough." Okay, you'd be okay. I'll pray for you. But inside, you know what you'd be thinking? I'm doing nothing compared to him. If he's concerned that I am, that he's not doing enough, I think I ought to look in the mirror and ask myself, "What about me?" And that's what the Apostle Paul. This is the challenge I think that we see in him personally concerned that his effort is not enough. My friends, think of the Apostle Paul. How much more should? average christians like you and me be thinking about whether or not i am exerting enough for christ now the verse begins with the absurd i do not run aimlessly i do not box as one beating the air have you ever seen a race where a runner just kind of was running in circles zigzagging around like this you never see that you ever see a boxing match where the guy's just going like this be knocked out in a second. Runners, runners, they run in the fastest line between them and the finish line. They run purposefully. They run intentionally. They don't just run here, there, and yonder. And a boxer, a boxer, if he's any kind of a boxer, he has long ago learned that he can put a punch exactly where he wants it to be. He doesn't just punch randomly. He punches intentionally. He puts it right where it needs to be. They know what they're doing. They know where they are going. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. What Paul is saying here is that like an athlete, like a boxer, like a runner, that so often we live our lives randomly, The days and the weeks and the years go by, and we've just sort of we're like a runner running in circles. We've not done anything intentional. We've got no sort of goal in mind. My sanctification, my growth in Christ, my service of Christ. These are just sort of willy-nilly concepts to us. And then lo and behold, life's done. And you look back at the path that you ran, and it's all wiggly and squiggly and zigzaggy. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Live, run, Live like a runner who has a goal in mind and nothing can keep him off of that line. Run straight. Run intentional. And that is why what is required for this to happen is discipline. And of all the things in this message, this is the thing that I am personally meditating on. The word discipline there, it means this literally, to. To punch yourself under the eye. Wham! I discipline my body. I I buffet my body, some of your Bibles might say. I bring it under control. I do not let my body rule me. I am in charge of my body. Again, cue the Rocky music. Where that guy... He just took his body and he treated it harshly so that when the time for the fight came, he was in charge of his body. His body was not in charge of him. And my dear friends, spiritually, we have got to do the same thing. If there is something that is rampant in American Christianity, it is Christians who allow their body and their natural desires to dictate what they do with their time and what they spend their energy on and the things that they are interested in. We don't rule our bodies, they rule us. And the reason that's a problem is my body naturally wants to be lazy. How about yours? Okay, nobody wanted to amen that? Don't make me pick out some of you that I think this is particularly true for. My body naturally wants to be lazy. My body wants to eat Twinkies till I puke. My body wants to go to the Albanese Candy Factory and pull up a chair. <laughs> My body wants to lay in bed. Some of your bodies did that a little extra longer today, didn't they? Now, is there anything wrong with eating a Twinkie, laying in bed, eating candy? No. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with those things. But when I am being controlled by natural desires that are in the way of me becoming the servant of Jesus that I ought to be, Or when I am allowing natural interests and desires in things that maybe are kind of good, but they are taking so much time and all my thoughts are consumed by them. And it's dominating my thinking. I'm obsessed about it. Now this this body is wanting to do something that is getting in the way of me accomplishing the goal. So like an athlete, Christians, we must not let our bodies rule us. We apply discipline. We buffet our body and bring it under submission so that this becomes something that gets me to the finish line. So I win the race. So I get the prize. And this is often, I think, our problem. I think of that scene from Spider Man 3 where Dr. Octavius is having a conversation with his arms who don't want, they want to do violence. And he does not want them to do that. And he says, No, you listen to me. That's what he's saying here. That desire, this body, it's naturally, I don't listen to it. You listen to me. I want the prize. And I am going to discipline you into submission. You will not rule my life. Now, man, I want to talk to you specifically for a second. And I I mean no slight to the ladies that are here. You get a conference this weekend. So, um... I want to talk to the men here. I have rarely met a man who didn't have something that he was excited about. Something that he was interested in. Something that on that particular subject he has become almost like an expert on. He's got proficiency in it. He reads the magazines. He knows all the statistics. He has uh, high levels of 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 uh, love for it he loves to talk about it you know he could be quiet as a mouse but you get him on the right subject and all of a sudden out comes this person inside he has something that is his thing and this could be this could be cars it could be hunting it could be baseball investing motorcycles computer working out all men have something that they really love and that they enjoy and i just want to say that that's fine Okay, that is, that is fine. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And uh, he has given us this earth to enjoy. And I, I want to do the same. But here's the thing to realize about all of those things. They have a certain reward to them. They do. If you're into woodworking, there is a kind of reward, a, a perishable wreath that you get when you have completed that project, you've put it on the wall, you've set the furniture where it is or Whatever. It's a sense of accomplishment. There, okay. There's your wreath, and if you're into motorcycles, there's there's a kind of wreath that you get when you're riding near Brown County on a beautiful fall day, and the sun is out, and you're just up and down the hills. You enjoy it. You love it. If you're into if you're into fishing, the the, the you know the calm Minnesota evening uh, at dusk, and you're out there fishing. There's a certain beauty, and you catch the fish and all that. It's there. These things have rewards to them. That's why anybody in the culture, any man in the culture, enjoys those same things. But here's the thing to realize. All of those wreaths are perishable. None of them last. That that woodworking thing ends up in a box somewhere. That team that you're so excited about, they lose the the uh the, the, the Workout that you had where you had the big rush, you know, at the end of the workout, that fades. It all fades. It all goes away. And here's the thing. As a Christian, your level of interest and commitment to spiritual pursuits must be greater than the energy and the interest that you show in a perishable thing. You get that? If, if you come alive on woodworking, that's great. That's wonderful. But you had better come alive when it talk, when it's things about Christ and the kingdom and serving him. More than your woodworking. And if you're all about your yard, that's great. Okay, and the, the certain fertilizers and the different plants and how you've in different squares and lines and all that. Hey, that's cool. Do, have a great, have a great, have a great yard. But if you are more excited about that, then you are the things of God. You are living foolishly. And God knows your heart. And here's the thing. If, if, if that perishable rush of driving the motorcycle on the road in, in South Indiana, if that gets you excited, that prize that God promises is so much better get excited about that you've got to want that and that is what motivates men in particular have those things but don't let those things get you going more than that does and i say that because i would love to just unleash the energy and the creativity that the men of our church have for all of these other things on kingdom work if we could take half of that energy that we have for the Bears, frankly, I'll just pick one. If we had half of that suddenly applied to interest in God's work, think of what we could do. Now, cheer the Bears, that's fine. I'm going for the Hawkeyes on January 7th. It's not an idol. no. But I need to do a little heart check and make sure that I am excited about the most important things. And that I have not allowed some other thing that in the end doesn't matter to become that for me. Now, I wrote it this way. For example, if your happiness is determined by how well overpaid and spoiled athletes perform, please remember they don't care about you at all. And they are never going to give you a thing. Christ gave his life for you, and he loves you. And based on that, what is a wise way to live, and what is a foolish way? So, you hear me on that? I wrote something else. I'd like to read it. It would have fit better earlier, but I still want to say it. Man, the Cubs are probably going to lose next year. And your son is never going to play in the NBA. And no one really cares what your yard looks like. But one thing is for sure. You are personally going to stand before the exalted and glorious risen Christ and give an account for your life, your time, your talents. So with great love, I urge you to give God your best Effort and to take that masculine energy that we have and to use it for the glory of God, like an athlete who's running for the prize. You got to want it, men and sisters, you too. So that at the end of our lives, we can say what Paul said at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. What's it take to get there? Determination to win. Single-minded focus. And discipline, discipline, discipline.